Good morning, everyone. I was telling my wife this morning, it never gets any easier to stand up here. You know, you would think after a while, after two years, three years, four years, whatever, but it's just, she asked me how I was this morning, I was like, I'm sick to my stomach. <laughs> but when God asks us to go, we go. And when God asks us to grow, we grow and we learn. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about adding to our faith and growing. Because uh, hopefully by the end of this message today, you'll understand that just faith alone won't cut it. So let's pray this morning, and then we're going to go into what we're called uh, this series, All Things. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, we can gather here, Lord, freely. We can hear your word, God. There's no threats to us. God, we can listen. And God, we're a privileged people this morning to be able to do that. So Father, I'm asking you this morning that you would help us to understand this word. Holy Spirit, I can't do anything for these people. I can only speak, but you're the, the illuminator. You're the one that goes in and illuminates people's hearts and helps them to understand the word and the truth. So we're asking this morning that you would do just that. God, that you would help me, God, just to speak what you've laid on my heart. And God, you take your word and you do what you do best, God. And you illuminate people and you bring them to your salvation. So Father, I thank you for what you're going to do this morning. And we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at 2 Peter. And if you have your Bibles or your phones or whatever you have to be able to see uh, the scripture. 2 Peter 1, chapter 3. Verse 3 to 11, sorry. And I'm just going to read it really, really quickly so you can understand the concept of what we've been talking about. Pastor Mona, for the last couple of weeks, laid a foundation for us. And as we go on into the following uh, next couple of weeks, you're going to see that Peter is asking us to do some things. And he's asking us to add some certain things to our faith. And you'll see why when we begin to, to get into the message here. So it says this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, the corruption that is in the world through lust. And this morning we're going to be concentrating on this verse right here. In verse number five it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue. And in the following weeks, we're going to be going into this part, to virtue, add knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours, and they abound, you will be neither barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness." And has forgotten that he, has, he was cleansed from his old sins. So it says in verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And verse 11 says, For so an, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So over the past several weeks, We've been talking about this series called All Things. 
And in 2 Peter 1 here, Peter's proclaiming by God's divine power, not by our power, but by God's divine power, God's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. And in 2 Peter, it's, it's, it's a letter. When you read the whole chapter, it's a letter of warning and from, from Peter himself. And it's Peter's last communication. It's his last words that he's going to be speaking because soon Peter's going to die. He's going to be a martyr for his faith. So the things that he's saying right here at the end of his life, after everything that he's done for God, everything that he's, he's proclaimed, he's saying these certain words, and they're very important. Previously, if we look in chapter 1, Peter had written to comfort and to encourage the believers because, you see, there was a lot of things going on. There was great suffering, and there was great persecution that was going on. And there was an onslaught from the outside, from society. And only about three years later, when he's, reading, when he's writing this letter, and it, like I said, it contains his last words, he's writing to them about another warning, about something else that's coming on the church. And it's an attack from the inside. And it's an attack of complacency and heresy. And you see, complacency simply means this. It means that the people were going to stop growing in Christ and they were going to settle for the little bit of faith that they had. They were just going to settle. And when they did that, there was a danger because what was going to happen is false teachers coming with a false gospel was going to come in and they were going to mingle it all together and completely confuse the people. And it was, when you look at that, it kind of echoes the words of Paul in Galatians 1.8 when Paul said, if there's an, even an angel or us or an angel from heaven that speaks any other gospel to you other than the one that we're preaching, he says, let them fall under God's curse. And Peter begins to explain that if you follow the advice that I'm giving you today and, and the words of scripture, that it's going to ensure Christ-honoring individuals and it's going to ensure Christ-centered churches. So Paul, Peter begins to tell us in verse 3 that God himself called you to himself. And he has given us great and precious promises in his word. That if we're diligent, remember Pastor Mona last week spoke about if you're diligent to respond to his promises, that it's going to enable us to share in that divine nature. In other words, God is going to provide everything that you and I need to live a godly life in a godless society. And we're going to be able to escape the world's corruption that's caused by lust. Now, when you look at that word lust, it, it simply means this, a desire for the forbidden. And we see it in the Garden of Eden. When God came and he told Adam and Eve, you can have everything that's in this garden. You can have everything that's there. But just don't eat off of this one tree. And all of a sudden, the serpent comes and he puts a desire in the hearts for the forbidden. He puts a desire in their hearts. They could have everything, but... They were kind of pushed towards this one thing. And it's the devil's game, you see. It's the devil's game to separate man from God and to have man die without God and go to a lost eternity. That's his plan. That's his goal. And you see, without diligently responding to God's promises and continuing to move forward and cultivating Christ-likeness, there's going to be a desire that sets in for the forbidden. I guarantee it. There's going to be, it's going to set in. And it's a trap. And it leaves a lot of people, many believers, it leaves them, like, like Peter's saying, it leaves them nearsighted, and it brings them to a, a total blindness. <clears throat> and they begin to stumble. And Peter says it even causes them to forget all that God has done for them. 
You begin to forget that God cleansed you from all your sins. You, you forget the goodness of God. You forget, you forget about all these things. <clears throat> and if we look at society today, isn't it getting more corrupt? The lust today, everything is just seems to be pulling you and I into that, trying to pull you into that path. And we see it today. I mean, just look at the covenant of marriage, for example. Anything goes. Now, God is the one that set up the covenant of marriage. But look at today. Anything goes. We see it in the selfishness and the greed of man's hearts. We see it in the pull of things like pornography. And the birth of having sexual ex explicit images, videos, clips at the very fingertips now of the young and the youth. There's no filter anymore. They open up their phones. There it is. They don't even have to search it up anymore. And there's a pull to conform to worldliness. And there's a pull to pull away from godliness. And in verse 5, Peter says, In view of all this, in view of it all, in view of your need to be able to stand and to withstand and not to fall, he says, make every effort to respond to God's promises. And he says, you have to add to your faith. In other words, don't just stand still. Add to your faith. So today, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to continue this journey. And we're going to begin to focus on what is it that Peter's asking us to add? And what is he telling us to add in order that we move forward and we grow? And that we're able to proclaim, I guess, the gospel. Because we come to faith, but then there's more than that. There's a path and there's a reason why God has brought us to faith. And it's important, I guess, the first thing to know that the power to grow, it doesn't come from within us. Hopefully you understand that. The power to grow doesn't come from within myself. It's imparted by God through Christ, and then it's to be practiced by me. We don't have the resources to be truly godly. We don't. None of us. I mean, I remember when I was in the world, I had nothing. I wanted to follow God. I tried to follow God at some point. It just didn't work out. I just couldn't because I was trying to do things by myself. We don't have the resources to be godly. You and I, without God, there's one thing that we do have. We have a wicked heart. And it's completely dead set on going against everything that God has set up as good and as holy. That, that's for sure. That's one thing about us. But it's God's grace that allows us to participate in the divine nature. In order to keep us from sin, in order to help us to live for him. You see, that's what happens when we're born again. God puts his spirit in us. God empowers us. God says, I'm going to put a new man in you. I'm going to come and I'm going to replace that old man. And I'm going to give you my spirit. And Paul said it in Romans 7. I think he said it the best. I know that nothing good lives in me. That's what Paul said. You see, you and I never had the power to change. But when you place your faith in Christ for salvation, what he does is he begins to transform you. He's the one that does the change. So that you're able to accept the gifts of everything that you need to be able to live a godly life. And you're enabled by the Holy Spirit to practice those gifts. And all of a sudden you'll start to realize that by His grace you begin to grow, you begin to change, and as you diligently add virtue to your faith, you're going to see it opens up doors. And I'm going to speak about virtue in a minute, but you're going to see it opens up doors for us to be able to speak the gospel, to be able to have people look inside and see that there's something different. And we have to add certain things to our faith in order to keep growing. Because you see, faith by itself, the belief in certain facts is great. It really is. It's great. 
Believing that there's one God is great. But the Bible says the devil believes that. The Bible says the demons of hell believe that. The angels in heaven already know that, that there's one God. And faith says that God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And all I have to do is believe. And, and that's true. However, faith just by itself is not going to be enough to endure trials and difficulty and pain. Look what James says in James 2. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and without daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and keep fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, it's not, and if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. But, and, and James is telling people, I guess, having faith and believing in God is good, but prove what you believe by what you do and how you act and what you say. It would be like me saying, you know what? I need a house built. So I'm going to say, Mark and Ben and Gary and Conrad, I need you to build me a house. And they come to my place and I have all the tools and I have all the supplies. Everything is there for them. And they're all gung-ho. And they begin to say, <clears throat> we can, I believe we can build this house. I, we can build this house. And Mark rips the, you know, he rips the sign off his off his truck from storm construction, he changes it to, I believe, construction. You know? And Gary starts to put signs out like they do in advertising. This is, I believe, construction. You know, and I ask them to build a house. And they believe it, and they're patting each other on the back, and they're like, I believe we can do this. We can build this house. I can build the deck. I can lay a foundation. I can put up the walls. And I leave, and a week later I come back, and they're standing in the same spot, and all they're doing is... I believe we can do this. I believe we can build a house. I believe we can do this. The house never gets built. And you got people looking from the outside, and there's nothing to display. You see, because God has given us abilities and talents. He's, added things. He's given us things to add to our life to open up avenues and to open up areas of conversation. You know, even a house. Build a house, and somebody's going to come up to the market and say, Wow, that's, that's, that's a really nice house. And it could open up an avenue for Mark to say, oh, let me tell you where I got my abilities. And also, God is asking us to add to our faith, not just to stand there and say, I believe, I believe. You know, faith says, I believe that the word of God is true, and I do. But if I don't add patience and perseverance to faith, I'm not going to be able to stand during difficult times until the promised word of God comes into manifestation. Because it doesn't always come right away, does it? I think of Daniel. If he would have never added anything to his faith, I think maybe after Daniel prayed for a few days and there was no answer, when he was looking for an answer for his people, he might have given up. But it took perseverance and patience. And Daniel learned some things when he was walking with God, and he added things to his life. He just didn't believe. He added things so that he had perseverance to be able to wait for the answer. But if we don't add to our faith or what we believe to be true, it's going to falter. And we're going to find ourselves succumbing to fear and despondency, which is really the loss of hope and the loss, it's kind of like a low spirit, a loss of courage. And what that does is it paralyzes our faith and it plunges us deep into hopelessness and it deprives us and it, it, it really strips us of strength and power as believers. 
I know that because I've been there a lot of times. You know, we're all gung-ho with, with, with some sort of belief system and never ever adding to our faith. And it only goes so far. And I think a lot of us are challenged in faith and we have a hard time waiting for the promises of God to come to pass. And that's why we give up so easily. And that's why Peter is saying, add these things that I'm telling you to your faith because if you possess them, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they're going to keep you from being ineffective and they're going to keep you from being unproductive and from falling. Let me read you this quick, quick, quick story here that uh, Dr. Jeremiah speaks of here. It says, Tim graduated from college in 2010. He decided to start a business in China and he packed up a few belongings and he, he bought a one-way ticket and he moved to China to, China, to a, man, a manufacturing city, although he didn't speak the language or even know how to use chopsticks. He says, at the time, the United States economy was really in recession and the Chinese economy was booming. So he, start, he leaves, he's got $5,000 in his pocket. It didn't take him very far, but all of a sudden he starts to just start to teach in English classes to be able to cover his living expenses. And he's, he's thinking about all these things. What can I possibly do over here to be able to sell and to export and to make money, to make a business? So he comes up with an idea, and all of us have them today. He come up with an idea when the market was starting to boom for iPads and iPhones and to make the cases. So he says, oh, what a good market. So he, he makes it. But as he's doing all of this in business, he, he forgets one thing. He forgot about quality control. And at the end of it all, he, he orders thousands and thousands and thousands of cases. And when they come in, because he neglected the quality control part, the buttons didn't fit, the cases didn't fit, and now Tim loses his shirt in business. But a couple of years later, he's in San Diego and he talks to a couple of people and he says, you know what, we wanted a product built to our exact specifications but we neglected quality control from the beginning. And he says, here's what I learned. People who involve themselves in quality control receive substantially better products. And that caught my eye. People that involve themselves in the process of quality control substantially get better results. Now, if I translate that to the spiritual man, it would sound like this. People who add to their faith become quality people. And quality people grow in Christ-likeness. And they move forward from victory to victory. They don't stand still and they don't get stuck. So if we're going to be strong and effective people who can withstand the pressures of this world and we, to bear a testimony to represent the King of Kings here on earth, because that's what we're here to do, and to leave behind a legacy for our kids and for our grandchildren, we have to be people of quality. Now, the Bible has a word for quality, and it's this, virtue. And that's what we're talking about today, virtue. And it's the first thing that Peter says to add to your faith. Because virtue is, I want you to think of it as this, virtue is the Bible's quality control division for your life. And it ensures the product that's going out is the same product that God's putting in. And there's a lot of people today that are claiming to be Christians, isn't there? A lot of people claiming to be Christians. But their life and their actions say a completely different story. And if our actions and if our deeds and our words are not lining up to the word of God, I think we've got a quality control problem. And we have to look at that in our lives. 
Maybe we neglected it. And whenever there's a, the problem is wherever there's a quality control problem in our lives, in the way that we act, in the way that we speak, there's normally a misrepresentation of who God is. That's pretty serious. There's a misrepresentation of his standards. There's a misrepresentation of his statutes and of his love and his grace to a world that's looking on. And just like Tim's story, the product coming out at the end of the line, it wasn't a representation of what he had asked. He had so specifically asked, but he was never involved in that quality part. And God has given us as believers, has he not, a set of standards to live by, to be quality people. He's given us his word. Everything that we need is there. Now you see, the gospel is good news. Let me rephrase that. The gospel is the best news. It's not just good news, it's the best news. And it's essential that we get a couple of things right though. It's essential that we get the message right. And it's essential, it's essential that we keep the gospel in its proper place. You see, because if we get the message wrong with our lives, it's like taking corrupted medicine. It's not going to heal you, and it can't heal anybody else. And I think Pastor Carter said it well when he said this. He said, in this generation, your life might be the only Bible that people read. In this generation. And if we're not paying attention to quality control in our lives, a lot of times what's going to happen, we're going to allow things or we're going to put other things in the gospel's priority of place. And it's like, it's kind of like buying a diamond ring or a diamond engagement ring. But we forget to buy the diamond. You know what we're left with? Look at that ring up there. We're left with a setting, just an empty ring that beautifully displays nothing. It displays absolutely nothing. And we weren't made to display nothing, weren't we? We weren't made to display nothing. We were made to display the glory and the power and the love and the mercy of God, of a resurrected Savior. That's what we were made to display out in the world. Because people are watching and they're reading our lives daily. So the question that you have to ask yourself is what am I displaying? What am I displaying? Am I displaying Jesus? Or am I just maybe just blending into the world? People don't even know I have any type of hope. So the Apostle Peter told us, we should be diligent about adding virtue to our faith. And we should go after it like our life depends on it. So what does he mean, virtue? So virtue speaks of the quality of our character. You know when you meet somebody and the quality of their character is just like, you're like, wow. You look at them and they speak honestly. They're not, they don't think of anything of, of themselves high or anything like that. They're just, you know, they're modest and they're patient and they're kind and they're gracious. You take notice. And virtue speaks about things like that. It speaks about spiritual excellence and moral goodness. I mean, if you look at this fruit of the spirit, for example, I mean, the fruit of the spirit, anybody that's, living in accord with the Holy Spirit, they should have these things anyway. It says in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, they should have love, they should have joy, and they should have peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all part of the virtuous life. And I think virtuous people understand that God is holy. 
He's perfectly pure. He's just and he's good. He's compassionate and he's kind. And if we belong to him, don't you think that we should exhibit and pour out these traits in increasing measure as well? I think we should. It's on my mind all the time. I don't always do it. I'm going to be, I mean, we, we work towards it. But should we not be those character traits of, of, of Christ be poured out to other people? No matter what the circumstances are or what the situations are? It says a person of virtue is a quality person. They're a person of integrity. Remember when God singled out Job as a person of integrity. And in Job 2, it says, you know, Satan comes to the Lord one day and he says, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the years. He's blameless. He's a man of complete integrity. You know why he was a man of complete integrity? Because the next sentence tells us he fears God and he stays away from evil. And he's maintained his integrity. And when I look at the biblical uh, definition of integrity, it says this is a part of a virtuous life. It's the quality of being brutally honest and fair and having an undivided, uncompromising moral standard that lines up to the word of God. And 2 Samuel says this, to the faithful, you show yourself faithful, and to those with integrity, you show integrity. Colossians 3.12 adds to it and says, put on then as God has chosen ones, holy and beloved. It says, put on compassionate hearts, put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness and patience. And you know, when we go outside, we put on a coat, don't we? Well, as Christians, we're to put on God's character and never take it off. Luke 6.35 adds even further, it says, but love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for He is kind even to the ungrateful and the evil. So if God is, un he, he, He's kind to the ungrateful, He's kind to the evil, how much more should we? You know, I remember a time <clears throat> when I was young. I was sitting at the table, and we were, actually it was a family game night. Me and my mom and dad and my brother, and we're all sitting there. And uh, there's a knock at the door, and it's like a cold winter night, and there's a knock. So my mom gets up, and she goes to the door, and she opens the door, and there's this strange man standing there. And the man asked her for 20 bucks. This was a long time ago. Remember that? <laughs> my dad says, yep, I remember that, because I asked her, why would you do give her 20 bucks for her? <laughs> but the man asked for 20 bucks. Didn't know the man. And I remember my mom with the door still open. She runs to her bedroom. She finds 20 bucks, and she comes and she gives it to the man. She comes back to the game like it was nothing. You know, but, and that's pretty uncommon back then. 20 bucks was a little bit of money. It's a lot more than what it was today. So, I mean, giving somebody 20 bucks, there was probably half your grocery order. So, anyway, but the lesson that I learned in there, you know, the man needed it. She had it. And kindness was shown. Not looking for anything in return. And you know, as a young man, I, I sat there, and we laughed at it that night. We really did, because I remember my dad saying, what in the world? You know? But I took notice that night. I took notice of just a little gesture of kindness. It, it enlightened something in me. It enlightened something of the character of God in me. You see, quality people, people of virtue are people of goodness. They're people of generosity. They're people of graciousness. Someone who is genuinely above discredit. And folks, the way that we act here 
and the way that we act in society with unbelievers, it's going to be a really good indicator whether or not God is growing in our lives, whether or not people are taking notice of Christ, or maybe whether or not we're just blending in, like I said a while ago. You see, because the goal of adding virtue to our faith is to move more and more into Christ's likeness. That's the goal. And to reflect the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of God. And it says, And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him, and he changes us into his glorious image. So folks, if I have to convince you that you ought to always tell the truth, if Pastor Mona has to say, now, now, you shouldn't be stealing, and you shouldn't be lying, and you should love your neighbor as yourself, and you should treat others the way you want to be treated, and you should be kind, could it be that you have a quality control problem in your life? Because you see, virtue is defined as this, moral excellence. And it's the quality of doing what is right and avoiding what is wrong. And it takes courage. It really does, because if you're going to be a virtuous person in this day and age, you're going to have to go against society, you're going to have to go against their minding of what is right, and sometimes you're going to have to go against your own heart and what you, you feel is right. You know, that old man nature sometimes wants to come up and say, no, I, this, I think this is right. But you need to examine that against the Word of God to see if it is right. I mean, I remember in the year 2000, you know how many people told me I was crazy? for giving back $480,000 that we found on the floor at McDonald's. 480 bills of $1,000 each. $480,000. Now the world says finders keepers. <laughs> you know, I thought about that the other day. I could have kept it. Could have hit it. Jonathan. $480,000 of Bitcoin in the year 2000. I did it on the computer the other day. It comes up error. There's not a, it can't hold that amount of money today on a calculator. I could have hit it. I could have taken it out maybe 20 years later. Nobody would have known. I could have taken half of it if I wanted to. Found the bag. Nobody knew what it was. I brought it downstairs. I could have took out $200,000, shoved it in my pockets, and just put it in an account offshore somewhere and let it grow. But virtue, doesn't it hold us to a higher standard? Aiming to please God motivates us to a higher standard, or it should. The quest for God's will in all aspects of our life, it ought to be the standard. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-11 says this. Paul says, so whether we are here in this body or away from the body, our goal is to please God. And one way to please God is by living a virtuous life. A life of moral quality. Because you see, when we know God, you know, we know God as, as our Father and as a loving Father and as a forgiving Father. When we're trying to add virtue to our lives or when, we when we're going after it and we, we need some things changed, it becomes a joy, really. And it becomes an adventure, really. Because we're not working to develop virtue. We, we're not trying to do this to gain you know, God's love or his acceptance. No, it's because God loves me. And it's because, because God accepts me. We want to live a life well lived. And we, we want to add virtue to our life. 
so that people take notice. Because it pleases God, you see. It pleases God when we reject the world's immorality and the practices of the world. Because virtue in our lives, it's, it's moral excellence, it's, it's purity, and sometimes it's rare. If you look at in society, it's, it's kind of rare. There's a lot of people trying to do a lot of different things selfishly and, and just, just hard sometimes to find honest people. It's hard sometimes to find people that love other people and have other people's best interests instead of their own. And Peter's telling us, as we begin to practice this, maybe in our homes or in our workspaces or on the bus or at the grocery store, maybe at the office or and even here between each other, it's possible to see change in our societies. And I believe if the church as a whole, imagine if the church as a whole, everybody turns back to virtuous living. I think there would be massive changes in our societies. I think people would take notice. I took notice that one, just that one time that my mom handed out something. I think maybe we'd break chains, bondages, soften hearts to see the kindness and the mercy and the goodness of a loving God. Because you see, people are watching, folks. People are watching every day. And how do you know that maybe one simple act of honesty might be all that's needed for someone to see the light of Christ? How do you know that maybe one kind word or a simple act of kindness to maybe a hopeless heart might be the ending of suicidal thoughts and a path, a new path to recovery and hope? God, God says that his ways are not our ways. What if God's just saying, add virtue to your life. Add these things to your life. And God just opens up avenues because God can do what he wants to do. Anytime. What about maybe perhaps just a little generosity, generosity to someone that's in need and all of a sudden the chains of worthlessness simply fall off. You know, sometimes I think maybe we overcomplicate the Christian life. Sometimes I wonder, what if we kept it simple? We became people of quality and reflected the qualities of Christ that we know in his word. And we take that and we just reflect that to a world. I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> sometimes I think the greatest in the kingdom of God, it's not going to be the intellectual person that reads 200 books on how to properly give and take care of the poor. I think the greatest in the kingdom will be the person that maybe simply sees somebody that's cold and says, here, take my coat. Matthew 25, 35 talks about a simple people. And I'm going to end with this. This is Jesus speaking. And he really is talking about a simple people. And he says this. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a complete stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. <coughs> then the righteous will answer. I call this the simple people. Lord, when, when did we... When do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or seeing that you needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and we came to visit you? And the king replies, 
Truly, I'm going to tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And it's in the simplest gestures of a quality person, I think, that God's love shines. I think sometimes we forget that, you know, the simplest of acts of a virtuous life, it reflects the love and it reflects the grace of a loving God to those that God has placed all around us. The simplest of things. I still remember today, just starting to work at Toyota, and there was a gentleman in the back, he was, he was rough and tough. And God just simply said, this man did something for you the other day. He changed a set of tires for you at 5.05. And he said, get him a Tim's card. That's all. Just say thank you. This man never had anybody say thank you in his life. He was never appreciated in his life. He had a hard upbringing with his family. And all I did was just give that little card. I didn't even know what to say because I'm not good at those things. I really, I'm not. And just by simply doing that, I mean, I seen a man just break the tears as if to say why are you doing this why? like it, it, it literally released something in him so I think if you want to add virtue to your faith first make it the greatest ambition of your life to please God and when we make that our ambition God's going to empower you with his Moral excellence. He will. He'll come in and he'll give you his morals. He'll take all of your morals out and fill you with his morals. And he'll make you a testimony of his character to the world. And I'm going to end with this. Dr. Jeremiah says it like this. The world is watching. Perhaps some of them are hoping that you mess up. Perhaps some of them want you to lose your temper, to cheat and to curse or to cut corners. But truly, he says, I believe most of them are longing to see an honest person, a virtuous person, a person that they would like to emanate in their own lives. And he says, you can be that person. So it says, so giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. I'm going to ask the uh, worship to come up and then... The words, I just want to be with you. You know, it makes me think of the scripture when uh, Jesus was in the community and the disciples were with him. And it said that, you know, after the disciples went somewhere and they said, the people took notice that these men had been with Jesus, you know. And in society, that's what we want. We want people to take notes that we had been with Jesus and give out that hope. So let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to understand it deeply. And God, that as we spend time with you, Lord, that you would teach us your character. God, that you would change us, God, from glory to glory and image to image. God, that we might be able to display your glory. And God, that people will be able to see that there is a hope, Lord. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for you. We thank you, God, that you came and you died. And Lord, you, there's such hope, God, in your name and in you, Lord. Help people to understand that and see it. And give us opportunities, Lord, to share it. And God, just to be able to share it with our lives the way that we live. And God, as we add virtue to our lives and we walk according to your word. So I pray for those that are here today, God, those that are going to hear it on the, on, online. Holy Spirit, that you ignite their hearts. And you help them to see fully 
God, who you are. God, your goodness and your gracious. And God, your kindness to a sinner, God, like us. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. Go before us today. And God, like I said, just we just want to be able to understand more. God, even beyond our own understanding, sometimes we use that as an excuse. We can't understand or we can't. But God, nothing's impossible with you. So God, help us understand that your ways are not our ways. God, whatever you ask us to do, God, we're simply to obey and do it. And we'll see change. So we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.